HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program was brought to you by Union Beer. For more information, visit greatbrewers.com. Hi, this is Sean. I'm Jack. We're from the Dead Rabbit. Thank you for listening to heritageradionetwork.org. Hey, 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 this is Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. I'm Jimmy Carboni from Jimmy's Number 43 and the Good Beer Seal. It's November 15th, 2016. Big shout out to our sponsor, Union Beer Distributors, suppliers of world-class ales and lagers, and you can follow us on Twitter at beer underscore sessions. So we got a wild show tonight. We planned this out about six months ago. Our good buddies, B.R. Roya and uh, Joel Shelton here from the Shelton Brothers. And uh, we're, this is like the world tour of Sebastian's hour. He's like, what, are you in New York? You're in America for what, five weeks or something? Uh, four weeks, and uh, now it's uh, one more week coming up. Sebastian's hour, Fry Guys Monarchy, one of our favorite brewers. We had a nice call in with him in the spring about the Rhine Heights school boat. Yes. And, um, but it's, it's really cool that you're here for so long, and we got some great guests. You're also made beer with uh, uh, Pete from KCBC and Eric from Greenpoint. So, yeah, that's is richtig. Yeah. We've got a lot of guests in, in the room tonight. So um, welcome to the show, man. First, I want to say it's, it's great having you here. And uh, you're always, you do such a great job getting out there. I mean, what is it that motivates you? Because, you know, you're in Germany, but you're doing different brands. And, and you come to the States, what, once a year or twice a year? Uh, this year it's twice. And uh, I was also on a longer uh, extended trip uh, on the West Coast and uh, Texas and Oklahoma. And uh, so this uh, year is always uh, the trip around the Shelton Festival, which was this year taking place in Louisville, Kentucky. And uh, so I was flying into Chicago and doing quite a bit of a trip around that. And then I always like to come all the East Coast spots, New York City, Philly, Baltimore, D.C. Yeah, and always Jimmy. Yeah, man. Well, you know, we... um it, it's such a cool thing being with Sebastian and Br and Joel. And I, I don't know which one of you represents him because at Shelton Brothers, you guys have like different hats. Someone's doing French beer, someone's doing Norwegian beer. Br does French beers. Br does French. I don't know anything about those French beers. And you're what the German? The German ah, yeah, yeah, natürlich. I do the German beers, and Sebastian is one of my best clients. So let's let's talk about the beers that you have. I mean, so so you have a a, a brewery, a little brew pub in Cologne. No, no, no. That's where everything started in 2009. So doing the first batches on a small system, which was like around a seven, eight barrel system, and uh, making the first batches and then uh, moved uh, and scaled it up. 
on uh, now I brew on three different breweries in uh, or at three different breweries in Germany, and uh, making a lot of different type of beers. And I always pick the location according to the beer I want to brew, and so they have different equipment which is uh, fitting, uh, yeah, depending on the style. So you you have Frygeist. Yes. And what kind of beers are you making there? Um, it's mostly it's a modern interpretation of historical German styles. So everything started with uh, Abraxas, which we are going to taste today also. He had the radio uh, show, and uh, that was my very first beer. It's a um, recreation of the beer style Lichtenheiner, which was originally from Thuringia in East Germany, and uh, was a sour-smoked wheat beer, which I thought was very interesting combination of flavors. And I like sour beers, I like smoked beers, and the... Uh, yeah, combination would be, uh, sounded really tempting to me, and that's the reason why I uh, decided to make this my very first brew. And uh, there's a lot of beers, Goza and stuff. Nowadays it's very popular, but uh, I started making Goza five years ago when it was not really known. It was a really teeny niche beer, pretty much only in Germany, and uh, Adam beer and a lot of other styles are in my portfolio, and that's what I try to... Um, bring out to the people also in the US with like brewing at different locations so everyone can uh, gather more knowledge and can taste these beers. And then you also have the Monarchy. Yes. That is a beer, um, a beer project I started in 2012 to be more independent and um, being able to and more flexible because I started Freigeist with uh, a friend of mine and um, so he was busy with a lot of like family stuff and uh, his um, yeah with a, uh, the brew pub he was running and uh, so I needed to do a little bit more stuff all the time and uh, I wasn't uh, busy enough was only doing fry guys at that time and that's the reason why I wanted to have uh, a new project nowadays it's a little bit watered down between the two projects because I uh, also bought my friend out so I'm owning both brands but um, there was an original reason for why I found it both. That's great. And BR and Joel, you know, what, what's it like working with Sebastian? I mean, he's here in the States for, what, five weeks? You I, know. I, I'm kind of, I can't talk about it anymore. Uh, maybe BR has something to say. I'm shaken up by holding Yeah, we're, we're both in therapy. <laughs> um, and, you know, when, when Sebastian comes around, we have to a few more appointments. No, it's, uh, it's, it's really interesting because prior to this, uh, the majority of our, pretty much all of our uh, German beers were very strict uh, traditional beers from, from Mars and, and Kulmbach. So it's very intriguing from, you know, especially for me from, say, uh, as, as a beer person, beer home brewer, um, these styles that just you could not find commercially, they basically vanished. And now they're, they're coming back and there's a resurgence. And, you know, you'd read about them, but you had no idea what they tasted like. But, you know, Sebastian's done all this research into the recipes. Um, and obviously, you know, the techniques are more modern, but it's you're approaching what were styles that have, you know, pretty much disappeared. So let me taste it. What do we open first? The Fry Guys and the Abraxas for the three X's, right? Uh, no, that's no? actually the Köpenickiade, which is a, a Berliner-style Weisse with uh, spelt malt. So this is a little bit gives a bit more of a grainy bite to it. Uh, 3.5% uh, beer, very easy drinking. Um, yeah, wheat beer as a base. You didn't get that much, Jimmy. It's enough. Enjoy Cheers. it. Cheers. Welcome for the show, man. Zum wohl. I know a few words in German, but nothing like Sebastian. I want you to say the beer name, Jimmy. Okay, I'll read it out. It should uh, be good. <clears throat> it's uh, yell it, Copenicciade. Excellent. Sounds Greek. Hey, we got Pete, Pete, and uh, now Pete from KCBC and Eric from Greenpoint. 
know, you guys have been working just today with, with Sebastian. Tell us what you guys are working on. You're doing collaboration, beer. Uh, yeah, Sebastian came by this morning. We, uh, we had sort of worked on uh, a recipe through email for a few weeks, and uh, today it sort of all came together. Um, so I would say it's sort of a amber... Uh, sort of hybrid ale lager. Uh, it's brew- fermented with Kolsch yeast. It's got a mix of different uh, sort of amber malts and sort of toasty biscuity malts. It's about it will be about five six percent, and it has a good uh, dose of cedar, uh, cedar tips, and some cinnamon. So it'll be sort of a fall to winter spiced, hearty sort of nice interesting beer. And you guys worked at Greenpoint Beer and Ales? Yep, we brewed it at the Arbor, yep. So when you brew at a certain brewery, I mean, who ends up selling that beer? Is that a, is that a Greenpoint Beer and Ale beer? I don't know. We're, we're still trying to figure that out, actually. Um, Pete and I, might. we're thinking of bottling it. You know, some of it might go to, to Pete's Brewery and some of it be sold at Arbury, but, yeah. Maybe barrel a little bit, too. And what was it like for you, Pete, working with Sebastian and Eric today? That was great. I just sat back and they did all the work. <laughs> oh, yeah? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But yeah, you know, that's become your kind of modus, right? Where you're, you're here in the states, and and you're making beer at pretty much every stop, aren't you? Um, not every stop, but quite a bit. On this trip, I think it's twelve or thirteen different beers I'm brewing with other people, and it's always interesting because um, there are very different approaches uh, for people what they um, how they uh, brew and uh, what their philosophy is. And I think I'm always a person who likes to learn about stuff and uh, it's very very uh, fascinating and so uh, it's always different kind of beers we brew on this trip I made a lot of uh, Adam beers for example with different breweries so I pretty much had the gave the base idea like okay that's uh, and answered all the questions how I would do it but every brewery pretty much had like oh hey we should actually make this twist and that twist and I made a version, for example, with uh, against the grain, which uh, they want to do a bit, bit of uh, um, a bourbon barrel uh, finish to it. While um, the version I made with Goose Island, they, uh, they will uh, we will also brew a goza at some point, and then we will um, blend it to a German, yeah, historic German style black and tan, pretty much. And then there's always like other projects uh, around. So when we uh, talk with like with Eric and Pete, <coughs> that. Um, it would be interesting to do something with uh, some local ingredients as well. So we kind of uh, went in this direction, and uh, I think it's always fascinating to brew with wood. And so we ended up uh, using these uh, cedar woods. Sounds good, man. Well, this is a nice beer. Like you know, so are, are you? Are there other German brewers working with historical styles, or are you kind of like the you know, trendsetter? Um, I, first of all, I wouldn't call it trendsetter because it's not a trend. Um, it's not really done. I mean, there's like definitely the traditional breweries, obviously, which are making uh, some older st- uh, styles and uh, which are like continuing to ex- exist. But um, next to that, there's no one really getting busy with uh, all these forgotten beer styles. It's, uh, yeah, it's not really done. Let's talk about more more of the beers that you brought, so we can talk about more more styles. Because I know we know things like Goza, you know, we know like in in our, our friends from Franconia, all the different types of Keller beers and Zwickel beers. Um, you know, w- what else is out there in Germany? I mean, you know, there's Alt beer and, Sch- and Sticker beers and, and Kolsch's, but you know, let's talk more about these old styles of beer that you like so much. 
Um, yeah. Because we don't know anything. We're American. Oh, we talk too much or that you don't know anything. <laughs> That's not true, Jimmy. Um, no, it's, in former times, uh, the, I mean, the history of uh, brewing uh, is very old in Germany. Um, I've been a few weeks ago, for example, to the uh, Hop Museum in Tetnang, which is in the very south of Germany, and they do hop cultivation since 1,100 years. So you need to think of that uh, also a lot of the stuff is way older even and it's like um, very interesting what got created over time. Obviously most of the information from uh, um, the years until the medieval times is not around anymore but still some knowledge of that time uh, we can still find nowadays. The older information, they are more, um, more rough, more um, superficial in the information. And it's getting more detailed pretty much from the 18th and especially in the 19th century. And um, in former times, uh, dif the different places, had uh, all the different cities had their own type of beer. And it was depending on the resources they had, the kind of ingredients they, get, uh, they could get. And uh, that was um, pretty much... The definition of the style of the of the beers which were made, so it was called after the city um, cities where it uh, was made, and some cities were known for not making good beer, and others were uh, known for making good beer, and then sometimes uh, the good beers uh, got uh, transported to other areas, or in the times of the Hanseatic, it uh, was also uh, sent to other places and got exported, and uh, the times of the colonies even shipped to other continents. And uh, that is pretty interesting. And um, so there's like a lot of beer styles which I still need to do on my own and uh, which are completely not known and which are very fascinating. Um, there's like a beer style called Breuhan, for example, which uh, I brewed um, in the end of July in Seattle with Holy Mountain, which uh, was a 100% wheat beer, for example, which is very difficult to brew and um, was f uh, from the area of Hannover. Um, <clears throat> there's a beer style called Brautschweiger Mummer, which is from the, also from that area, uh, which was uh, known to have a very high uh, Play-Doh and a very bad attenuation, which means it was a lot of uh, sweetness was left, so it was very uh, thick and very oily and um, was also containing a huge list of quite crazy ingredients uh, from starting with tree needles uh, over bark, Uh, dried plums, different kind of spices, and the, this uh, all German beer styles, which uh, uh, most of them existed until the Industrial Revolution, some even afterwards, and uh, at that time lager beer became way more popular and certain beer styles which were easier to to, um, to, to produce, and um, pretty much until the, the Industrial Revolution and also the, the combination with like the invention of the cooling machine which got sponsored uh, big time through the uh, different breweries uh, that was 1873 it was not possible to have a huge brewery because they didn't have the facilities for cooling down that much beer they needed to cut ice out of rivers for example or got uh, the ice from, from the mountains uh, and if there are no mountains and that's in the most parts of Germany that's the case uh, you needed to see how to to make this and so everyone only had small resources and could only trans, uh, produce a certain amount of beer that's very cool man and I, I, I like to hear about the way beer was made and um, for you guys Pete and Eric as brewers I mean w working with you know Sebastian and, and, and trying his beers I mean w what are some things that inspire you or, or you might think you want to try something that, that he's doing Well, I was—I mean, I've been a fan of Sebastian's beer since uh, since they hit the U.S. I guess a few, few years ago. So I've had 
quite a few of his different beers, and I always thought it was interesting that he was sort of exposing Americans to all these new styles or old styles that were being revisited, like um, like Berliner Brown beer. Like that's a style that I'm really interested in, but I did had no uh, experience with. Have you brewed one of those before, Sebastian? I'm curious. Yes, uh, it's a beer called Berliner Scheiße I made. So it's uh, <laughs> oh, a little pun on uh, Berliner Weisse, and Scheiße means shit. So it's a brown ah. brown version of the Berliner Weisse, and it's made with wild strawberries. So that the color <clears throat> says everything. <laughs> Sebastian, how's that name going over in Germany? Um, it's uh, some people like it, some people don't like it so much. But uh, you always know when people standing in front of your stand, <clears throat> and they t and they start cracking up about something, you know about which beer name. And uh, now actually people think it's very funny, especially in other countries when they know what this word means. I remember telling you about it <clears throat> for the first time, and you thought it was the no, best I was, name. I was fully behind that name. I cracked up, too, and I still do, especially when Jimmy says it. And what, you had a funny story today. So uh, the guys from Owl Farm in Brooklyn have that beer, and they called you. What did they say? Well, they didn't have the beer, but oh, the, <laughs> the culprit is in this room, I believe, that I got a, I got a, a, a crank call, a prank call, whatever you call them. yesterday. And a, a, a strange woman said, I'm so-and-so from Owl Farm. And we have the um, Berliner Scheiße, and the keg's not working right, and it tastes like shit. <laughs> and I, I said, whoa, okay, uh, what does it taste like? And she said, and shit it, again. And pours like shit also. And pours like shit. And then, then I caught on, but it was pretty funny. So there's never an end to this joke. It just, it'll be told through the ages. The Scheiße word is just, it's, a, it's the favorite word in German, I believe, isn't it? It's a bad uh, yes, and I heard um, that <clears throat> Shelton Brothers is trying to push it out everywhere, <laughs> even uh, with places who don't want to buy it. They say, okay, if you want to buy a case of Cantillon, you need to buy at least one pellet of Berliner Scheiße. <laughs> is that right, Joel? Well, we are trying to push it out. A good one, a good one. Uh, well, I, I, that's a pretty great story. I, I read Michael Lewis's book, Boomerang. He wrote The Big Short, and he analyzed the German psyche, and he says that you guys have a lot of words about shit. So I guess we're on the right topic now. Right? Yeah, you need to make sure to define everything very specific, you know? Yeah. <laughs> but Pete, we're, we'll take a short break, come back in a few minutes, and keep talking about making beer with uh, Berlin and Scheiss on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. In 1996, L. Knife & Son acquired Union Beer Distributors, which was originally located on Union Avenue in Brooklyn, but has since expanded to its present location alongside the English Kills Canal in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. Union Beer has grown dramatically in the last decade as the primary distributor of Anheuser-Busch products for Kings County, Brooklyn, through the hiring and development of the best people in the industry. In 2003, Union Beer acquired a powerful catalog of specialty brands, which immediately positioned them as the craft beer supplier to accounts in Manhattan, Brooklyn, Queens, and Staten Island. Union perpetually tweaks their portfolio to maintain the highest level of stylistic breadth with the most coveted brands available. Through the highest possible level of service, outstanding salesmanship of the ultimate lineup of brands, and a paramount focus on education on all levels, Union Beer has solidified its position as the only source for the best selection of beers in the 14 counties of southeastern New York. For more information, visit greatbrewers.com. 
Hey, hey, welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. Hey, we're on our second beer. We got uh, Sebastian Zauer from Fry Guys and the Monarchy here with some of the Shelton Brothers and uh, our good buddies Pete from KCBC and Eric from Greenpoint. So um, you guys were talking about, we went off track, we were talking about some of the German, German character and culture and the uh, way they defined, you know, different things in the language. But, but Pete, I know you had a question for him that's not about, it's about the earth and not about what we put in earth, I guess. I've got a couple of questions. I'm actually interested in, Sebastian, how you got into beer and history and maybe what was your previous life? Historian, perhaps? I didn't have a previous life. Uh, no, I just started uh, tasting special beers uh, 12 years ago. And um, I, I uh, was born and live again in the area which is very close to the border triangle, uh, Netherlands, Belgium, Germany. So for me, it was rather easy to go to Belgium. And um, I met a lot of people over there at beer festivals and uh, also a lot of Americans. And so it was very interesting. And so I started tasting different uh, type of beers. And so it was uh, interesting that there was a very different approach to beer in other countries than it is in Germany. Because people in Germany always think they know everything about beer. They're like, oh, no, we have the best beer. And then, yeah, it's like when someone is proving you wrong, it's kind of interesting. And so... um, at some point, I was interested in the historical beers, and uh, I was checking out <clears throat> in archives and uh, old uh, historical books, and I uh, found a lot of information, and uh, I thought, okay, nowadays we talk in Germany about how great the variety is, or we have in Germany, but it's actually, we have 500 different styles which all taste the same. And uh, so it's, but it's more like, uh, okay, hey, in 19th century, we had a bigger taste uh, variety in Germany than uh, nowadays, and so that's what I tried to recreate and bring back on the stage because for me it was not interesting to add uh, or to brew the one millionth IPA and uh, bring that out to the people because it's done and overdone at a certain point and uh, because our whole craft beer scene is pretty much about all the different flavors and all the different techniques and ideas and that's the reason why I said, okay, when someone can bring this to the people, then I, I try to make that happen. What's, what beer are you drinking now? This is the Geisterzug. Yes. So what's that? That's my um, interpretation of a goza. It's made with a historical uh, technique, which means uh, spruce uh, tricks were used in the whirlpool. So the hot word is running over the um, spruce tricks and uh, it's getting some, some sprucey character. Um, I use quite a bit, so you can uh, really get a, a good bite of it. And, uh, yeah, it's brewed like normal goza, so sourish wheat beer with salt and cor- coriander. And uh, then I have next to the base version, I always like to do two fruited versions to um, um, show in which different taste direction uh, beers can go and what the fruit is uh, doing to the beer. And so in this uh, case, uh, I make a quince version, which is a little bit more gentle and um, mild fruity. And the rhubarb is a little bit more out there, a little bit more placative sour, and has a bigger bite to it. And Pete, I don't know if you... Did you ask about malt? Yeah, I was... Well, we had a conversation at the brewery earlier kind of about this. Like, I'm also fascinated about these historical styles and would love to taste something authentic from back in the day, but I don't know that we can actually recreate that because the malt, the varieties of malt, the varieties of hops, maybe even the water, things have changed. The malting techniques... Before the indirect flu, everything was kind of smoked, heated directly, poorly modified. Um, <clears throat> and, and most of that was finished in the brew house. And even 
the yeast culture before Carlsberg got the first uh, pure strain of lager yeast. Everything was mixed culture, contaminated. I think, it, and also like fermented on wood or probably not very clean copper. And so I don't think recreating that is, is all that easy. I'm wondering if you've worked with maltsters to try to go even deeper. No, not really, because I always um, um, underline that I make uh, modern interpretations of these styles mm -hmm. because uh, I use modern qualities, which are just uh, very, uh, yeah, way more efficient. And a lot of it is uh, not possible to recreate in that way. And uh, for me, it's always the purpose of making good beer and not. Uh, so for me, priority is uh, good beer and uh, the authenticity is important, but not higher than the quality of the taste and uh, so if you would go for old malt qualities from the 19th centuries you would have a lot of uh, corn flowers and stuff between and a lot of uh, shit which you uh, don't want to and uh, that's the reason why a lot of uh, yeah shit again uh, and then uh, Joel's keeping track of how many times says <laughs> shit or shice it it's tw 12 until now okay um, and so uh, until thank you until David. then, we had uh, pretty much uh, certain certain techniques like decoction got created because the malt qualities were so bad that they tried to get everything out of it. Nowadays, decoction is, is still a good purpose, but that was the original idea to get a little bit out of uh, out of nothing and or very yeah. And um, so that is uh, more important for me and. Um, trying to recreate that is uh, yeah, nearly not possible and wouldn't be a, a good situation. And a lot of the beers had a very bad attenuation, which means they would be very, very sweet and wouldn't be uh, lasting very long, so that you would need to drink them uh, really fresh. And it would be nearly impossible to really package them because there would be always, or you would need to pasteurize it, which is not, a, not the idea of that kind of beer. And then uh, everything would be like very uh, would be dangerous for uh, having a refermentation, uh, big time, and then it would explode. I have a question: the, the the styles that survived into the last century, as opposed to only surviving until the nineteenth uh, century, do you think your beers are close to the what those tasted like, say eighty years ago or ninety years ago? Um, in, a, in a certain way, yes, but it's very difficult to say that uh, precisely because um, I, I, I was not around to taste these beers, but um, uh, the oldest beers of that time I had were from the 1940s and 60s, yeah. and uh, they were rather close. So the first beer you try, the Kupenikiade, is pretty close to the taste I had from 1960s original Berliner Weisse. What, what, what are some of those styles, Joel? I mean, like alt beers. What are some of the styles that survived into the 20th century? I, I wouldn't be the one to, to remember which styles survived. I think certain kinds of alt beers certainly, well, they survive now, right, still. But I think the Adam beer was around not, the not long ago. And the Goza, of course. But, yeah, a few of them. I, I, don't, I think there's some that you don't even know about yet that disappeared in the 1800s. But a lot of them survived in the 1900s. Um, yeah, for sure. But uh, it's always, uh, it depends from style to style. I mean, there's some um, beers, for example, the Breuhan, which I mentioned earlier. Um, there's a book from the very early 19th century, uh, and the author uh, worked for the pretty much the 
police controlling situation and he was very upset that the quality of the beer of the style went down so much and uh, at this time uh, other uh, beverages like uh, coffee and wine became more popular and he was a little bit upset about it because uh, he wanted to have the beer quality better so they needed to compare uh, compete with other beverages uh, some of them uh, decided for uh, 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 worse qualities And uh, so the beer turned down, which is even bigger problem. So people wouldn't drink less of it. So there's a little bit of a devil circle which was going on, and he was uh, pretty much writing down everything to um, to make sure uh, that um, the idea and the the whole techniques are known how to make it in a good way. And he was pretty much writing it, and that's on the first page. He's mentioning it that people should read it and try to do what he suggests. So let, let's pick like 1700s. Can we say Cologne, Cologne? What was the typical style of beer like then? Um, sorry, in which time? In like in the 1700s in, in Cologne, where you're from. Um, mostly, you can say that a lot of beers were tending uh, to be more brown. Um, so the pale beers were more uh, unique and more for the um, higher classes. That's pretty much the situation which you had in the UK as well. And um, there was, uh, for example, a beer style called Knup which is uh, known and it's that died out very long time ago and this was used uh, known for being a bottom fermented beer um, bottom fermented beers were pretty much only uh, being produced in a decent quality in the old days before re uh, good uh, refrigeration uh, in areas like Bohemia and uh, Bavaria which had caves when you go to Bamberg for example you have like uh, it's um, built on on seven hills And so you had a lot of caves where the brewery uh, built in and uh, they, they, they could lager their beer and they had a, a pretty st stable, uh, um, stable uh, temperature for the lagering. In Cologne, it's very flat, so you don't have that uh, over there. And so they were never allowed to brew bottom fermented beer as a city set. It's not, uh, you're not allowed to. And uh, nowadays it's part of Cologne, but in former, uh, in former times it used to be outside of the city and there were different uh, kind of breweries and they made this knup. And which was, uh, yeah, as I said, bottom fermented, and they also spiced it sometimes. It was quite strong, and they, uh, the city tried to forbid the people to go outside of the city to taste this beer uh, because they didn't. Because sometimes it made uh, people a little bit crazy in their head. <laughs> but, but it's reported, so that was uh, the document uh, source that uh, some people, even working for the city, went outside to drinking this beer because they were tempted for drinking it. I get crazy. Eric? Um, yeah, I had a question about how I know that, you know, Germans are, are fiercely protective of their local beer and the quality of German beer in general. And you're bringing back a lot of styles, though, you know, giving modern interpretations. Um, how, how do you feel that your beer is received in Germany nowadays? Is there people who are, you know, respect what you're trying to do and trying to revive these styles and at least provide new flavors? Or is it sort of a mixed crowd of people? Um, it's pretty mixed. I mean, I started seven years ago at a time when we didn't have any uh, what you guys call craft beer bars, craft beer shops. I mean, this just happened uh, very few years ago. So for And then starting with beers like Abraxas, a sour smoked wheat beer, it was uh, very difficult uh, for people to understand uh, what I was really doing, you know, because they didn't understand or they didn't hear and tasted the stuff uh, which was made in other countries. So they were pretty much only exposed to Pilsner and stuff and then you come with something which is like okay 
no, that's not beer for me anymore. And this uh, needed obviously a lot of uh, work, a lot of uh, pioneer work from uh, a lot of different people to change that slowly. And now it's uh, uh, getting better and better. And every year you recognize a huge change, which is still very small compared to a lot of the neighboring uh, countries. And especially to the U.S., you can't compare uh, the situation to the U.S. because you guys are doing this since uh, early 80s. And uh, but it's for us, it's a, it's a big change. Just to give you an idea, uh, what the status of uh, the craft beer is. In my area, the biggest, way biggest city would be Cologne, which is the fourth biggest city in Germany. More than one million people. Yeah, very close to Netherlands, Belgium, France, everything what you want. And uh, the first uh, craft beer bottle shop opened Julie last year, and the first craft beer bar opened three weeks ago with 15 drafts. And they have like sweet beers for me on tap now all the time. But it's the first place to have my beer on draft in my pretty much home city all the time. Um, Germany had better mass market beer than America did and better than most countries did. And is that the main reason why people didn't look for new beer? Um, it's definitely some part of it. It's also the uh, lobbyism of the purity law, which is uh, very important because uh, breweries said, okay, that's uh, very important uh, that to have these beers, and they pretty much uh, branded and talked uh, bad about beers from other countries. And uh, it's also a little bit about the... Um, the um, philosophy, or not the philosophy, but kind of like the uh, attitude of, of Germans, they, which are not really completely dedicated to uh, having uh, um, spent a lot of money on food and drinks and um, are also not willing to pay that much amount for, for it and uh, the willingness to taste experimental stuff. Americans are definitely very open. You're like, oh, hey, I have something new. Like, oh, I want to try it. Germans would be most of the germs would be more skeptical and they wouldn't really you would kind of need to convince them to taste it that's great man we'll take a short break we're back in a few minutes on beer sessions radio all right Woo. to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. Hey, check it out, heritageradionetwork.org. You can be a member. There's a membership drive going on. And no, we're not going to talk for two hours about becoming a member, but you should check it out, heritageradionetwork.org. And uh, we're talking about some, some history in Germany. We're talking about everyday life and the, the use of the word scheisse in <laughs> all walks of life. And I will say on that note, on my subway over on the L train out here to Bushwick, we're at Roberta's. I was surrounded by a bunch of high school girls, and they were joking, and one girl said, I can't wait to get home and load up that toilet. <laughs> and then I started laughing, and the girl said, look, he's laughing. So I'm a regular guy. You know, and now she's on the radio. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to get arrested. Watch out. So anyways, but um, we're having some fun talking. About, what we love about, about Sebastian is that, you know, he talks so much about this Ryan Heights Cabot, but, but really he's passionate about the historical styles of beer. And, and what's wrong with the Reinhardt's Cabot? I mean, you're saying that, you said the Monty Python-esque 
you know, reality where you can you have beer, but you can't call it beer. That was on some interview I saw you with. Yes, um, it's pretty much uh, for me it's the uh, absurd situation when uh, com when you compare it with making a bread. You can make a bread with very simple ingredients, but then you have a huge variety if you add like raisins, walnuts, carrots, potatoes, whatever you want. And um, it's pretty much um, the situation in Germany that uh, you make a bread with the basic ingredients and then Jimmy says, oh, I want to add some walnuts. And then I would say, Jimmy, now it's no bread anymore. And it's like, it's like, oh, this this one thing to add, like, oh, some coriander or some some cherries, and then it's uh, not bread anymore. I heard you, say, you suggested that rather than say it's beer or not beer, that there should just be a Reinheitsgebot label, which means that certain beers are, are adhering to that that tradition yeah because for some people uh, that's, for, I think that's a great idea for the German brewing lobby it's very important uh, to to um, continue with this purity law idea and uh, for me it's not a problem you know I mean everyone can do what he wants but it's uh, for me it's a problem if you tell other people oh you can't do this because uh, it's a choice of people what they want if, they, if it's uh, something which is uh, unhealthy then I have a complete understanding of the situation it's like okay then don't do it but um Uh, it's pretty much the, the authorities tell people, okay, you can't drink this beer because we don't want you to, and that it doesn't make sense. Leave it up to the people to decide what they want. Yeah, but before you get to that, too, uh, the third beer we had is the Fry Guys Abraxas. Tell us what that is. A little smokiness. Yes, it's uh, Lichtenhainer. It's a beer style from Thuringia. So it's a sour smoked wheat beer and was my very first beer. This is a version with pear, which is a little bit gentle, fruity. Great. And there's another beer. Let's, let's make sure we cover the beers first. And there's a fourth beer. This is the Monarchy, which I think is, I like your, seems like each time you have a new brewery label, you're, you're getting more historical. Yes, uh, this is a recreation of the uh, of an Adam beer, a beer style which died out in the 1960s. Uh, was reported to be one of the strongest top fermenting beers in Germany. Uh, it's an Altbier variation. Most people associate Altbier with uh, Düsseldorf Altbier, but that was only one type, which was uh, yeah, like around five percent, uh, or is around five percent, and is a more hoppy version. And uh, Adam beer is a strong, a little bit sourish, a little bit smoky type of Altbier. And, and, and guys, Eric and uh, Pete, what do you think about this? The Methuselah. It's it's sweet. It's malty. And this particular version is made with elderberries, by the way. Elderberries. I, I really like it. I think that it's got a nice sort of uh, like dark grape, yeah, berry-like acidity too, which really sort of makes it pop. Um, you know, it's light on the palate. Um, nice sort of deep malts. It's really tasty. Yeah, it's not a beer I'd drink six pints of, but it's excellent, good sipper for maybe after a meal. I like the acidity too. It bounces out that kind of residual sweetness. And one thing before we just talk about Ryan Kabutz and just like you know generic pilsners and stuff. You know, there are a lot of interesting German beers out there that we've had, and like Urugestika and all beer that we get in the States. It's very malty, and I know that customers are looking for those kind of flavors. And also the Franconia cast that the Shelton Brothers bring in, they're all kind of like, I call them liquid bread. So there's definitely this malt characteristic without a lot of hops that, 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 that German brewers are making. But, but those aren't typical styles, are they? I mean, would you consider those guys craft makers? If they're making like more malty, bready flavored beers, um, it's kind of a definition of uh, craft beer. That's where I think uh, stateside and also in Europe, uh, people have a very hard time defining it. For my definition, it's uh, 
it, it's not craft beer because for me it's not so much uh, it's not so important about uh, the size of the brewery and stuff but more a little bit of the mentality of the people doing it uh, being more experimental and um, yeah trying different stuff and so on and um, it's it's just um, way more open-minded view craft beer is not necessarily positive for me it's just a description of uh, how uh, what kind of people Uh, uh, behind it and uh, what is the philosophy of the drink it, it seems like in Germany people think IPA means craft beer though which seems kind of goofy to me yeah that's exactly the problem it's like uh, like Warsteiner would do uh, a hoppy beer and they would oh th now they also make some craft beer and that's uh, I think it's a big uh, problem That is, uh, yeah that it's not really defined I, th completely. I, think, I think you might be right I mean I think people think craft they think IPAs What do you guys think? Yeah, I think at this point... Since it doesn't really matter about the size that much. <clears throat> I think craft is associated with hops these days, but originally it was just anything probably that wasn't a Latin American lager, just bringing back, like, Sierra Nevada, bringing back a porter and a pale ale and a stout. One, one more thing about, about German, Germany. Uh, you, you'd mentioned in, in Dusseldorf versus, versus Cologne. Cologne. Um, are the traditional styles in those cities... First, very different from each other, and the, and the second question is, is can you get a Kolsch in Dusseldorf or an Altbier in Cologne? Um, Nine. <laughs> That's from your video <laughs> on the Shelton Brothers. Scheiße. Scheiße. <laughs> uh, historically, um, these styles are very close to each other, uh, Kolsch and uh, Altbier. So both would belong to the family, what we call Rhineland-style uh, bitter beer. So they are obviously not American IPA uh, type, but uh, historically... Uh, more on the hoppy side and uh, it's pretty much the Düsseldorf Altbier is just uh, a dark um, a little bit more roasty version of uh, of a Kölsch and uh, both used to be uh, around the same uh, hoppiness uh, grade um, yeah it's, it's it's a little bit more of a fun thing but you, I think everyone uh, knows with like oh nobody officially likes their neighbors you know so everyone's like, oh this is our neighbor we the don't neighbors. like him and like, Pete you brought a what a Crowler or KCBC what's this yeah. But let's have a Sebastian taste it and he can tell us what he thinks about this beer no I only drink German beers <laughs> This is a non-hoppy craft beer. Um, this is our interpretation of one of many of our inter interpretations of a Berliner Weiss. And it's a, a strawberry guava for a 30-barrel batch that has 900 pounds of strawberry and guava puree. 3.5% Pilsner malt wheat. Tastes like fruit, man. It's good. Super crushable. Basket. Now no one's talking. We're like, wow, it's fruity. It's fruit basket in your mouth. Fruit basket. And Sebastian? Sebastian, do you think Americans do bigger flavors? The flavors are more punchy than the German ver The German versions always seem a little more subdued, and that's a, a balance idea that comes from Germany, I think. Would you agree? Um, yes, in general, uh, that's definitely the case. For us, it's very important to have balance and uh, the concept of drinkability so that you're able to enjoy a lot of the same beer and even if you have like a strong and complex idea it should be still drinkable so that's totally my philosophy where it's like okay my German background is coming through um, I like this particular beer a lot I think it's very nice fruity it has a good balance to it it has uh, nice tartness good sourness it's not too sour so I think it's perfect for summer um so um, that's that's always great, but it's like it's it's important to have a certain in intensity. Um, 
growing up in Germany, it's like a lot of things are uh, rather plain and uh, tend to go in a boring way, in a little bit mainstreamy way. Well, then uh, you can discover a lot of flavors in in the U.S., for example, where you're like, okay, that's also possible to taste like that. It doesn't need to be enormous, extreme, uh, and it's still like settled and balanced, and it's just like it's a little bit more. While uh, some of our stuff is going to plainness at a certain degree. And you guys have any last questions for him? Nothing. I want to hear Eric say one more question. Is there, you're a great brewer. You worked at Browery Lane. You've worked your way up, Greenpoint Beer and Ale. Mm. And you're also making, you're kind of playing around with some historical styles. You're, you're doing very small batch beers. Yeah, we, uh, here and there, we'll, Greenpoint is sort of a Polish neighborhood, and we've done uh, a style, uh, it's called the Grazer, or I guess there's a German version of this. Uh, Grazer would be the German name, Grzyski. Grzyski is the Polish name, yeah. So, uh, yeah, we, th- we, we it's 100 percent wheat beer, uh, 100 percent smoked, and um, I guess some some historical descriptions um, describe it as slightly tart, or um, some don't, I guess. But yeah, we we released that beer and it, it kind of blew a lot of people's minds uh, because it was super light and champagne like, but you know had a nice smoke quality. And I don't know, I just think it's fun to be able to teach people about what you know, beer used to be and bring back styles that may not, you know, make it <clears throat> past the 1960s or something like that. So, And BR, I usually lean on you on these shows. You usually say a lot, and there's so many good talkers here. You didn't get to say much. Do you want to add anything to the conversation? No, that's fine. It's, it's just yeah. always fascinating for me to hear. I mean, I, I really enjoy learning about old beer styles. You know, I've... I'm, being managing our French uh, and Canadian portfolio, you know, I've learned a lot about beer de garde, saison, done research into that. But in terms of the German styles, you know, I'm familiar with uh, the, the ones that you can, the contemporary, more contemporary styles. So it's just always really fascinating. I mean, Joel and I often talk like we'd love to go time travel back to the 1700s and actually taste the beer, you know, as Pete was saying, with the under-modified malt where everything was kilned over an open flame. Um, yeast wasn't understood, things being fermented in open vessels and in wood. Like, what did this stuff taste like? You know, it would be fascinating to know. And so, at least with, with Sebastian's beers, you know, they're, they're, they're cleaner and, you know, they're not meant to be drunk at the source the day after they're ready. Um, so, you know, but it at least gives us a little insight, a little window into what these might have tasted like back in the day. So, I'm perfectly happy to take a back seat on this episode and listen in. It's great having you on the show. And then one of the monarchy beers I've, I've always liked is the Munchausen. Tell us about that beer. Um, the Munchausen is uh, also another type of Altbier uh, from the area of Münster. So all of these areas are pretty close to each other, but uh, all of them had a distinctive uh, type of brewing. And um, so also with the Adam beer, um, Münster is in Westphalia, and... Uh, it's like it's a it's a big change between the regions. So um, the area where I come from, it's a bordering area. It's like the Rhineland. It's like between Cologne and that area would be like a one-hour drive. And uh, but it's pretty much a difference because uh, it's the Romans entered the Rhineland, but they never went to Westphalia. So the uh, so the Rhineland was always about big trading cities, Cologne and. Düsseldorf and stuff, so they were like rich cities which were able to use a lot of hops which were very expensive in the past, and um, Westphalia never had that. And uh, so a lot of their beers turned out to be sourish, uh, that's where the area where more of the spice beers come from. And then uh, KCBC Stoop Sale, 
that's been a really popular beer in New York City. You guys have, have your tasting room now. You're out here in Brooklyn. Um, Stoop Sale is a Kolsch. You know, how true to that is, is a Cologne-style Kolsch? Are you guys, and it's kind of a, a toasty in some way. Ours is probably, uh, it's, a, it's an interpretation of a Kolsch. I think it tastes very Kolsch-like, but it's actually Augustine or lager yeast, fermented warmer, but it's not a true Kolsch yeast strain. And it's Pilsner malt with a little bit of Vienna. And then it has a, a dry hop, which is not traditional at all. It's dry hop with a little bit of New Zealand Waiiti. gives you that uh, lime note in the finish. I want you to know it's on the rise. It's, it's, it's a favorite of, of some of my staff and customers. Glad so. to hear it. Yeah. And, Joel, anything you want to say to wrap this up? Scheisse. Yeah. <laughs> and you know what? I knew this was going to be a 14. fun episode when Joel showed up and uh, we started talking off. About the, no, the, actually, I do have an intelligent question. Do we have time for one intelligent answer? From you. Uh, the reason uh, ales survived in Germany in the north is because they don't have the mountains and the caves and the ice. Is that a basic way to look at it? Um, as I said before, the major change happened with the Industrial Revolution, and uh, all uh, that. Like pretty much at a certain point, there were more uh, or less lag, um, bottom fermented breweries at the end of the. 19th century in Germany, and they were producing way bigger amounts and way more top fermenting breweries, and so that uh, changed way and more, uh, more and more, so that the whole top fermentation uh, beers went down uh, quite a lot, and um, pretty much thanks to what we call Malzbier in German, which is like uh, artificial, sweetened and colored um, light beers, uh, which are very bready. Um, this like turned up to go a little bit like that. Uh, top fermenting beers were a little bit growing up again, and um, so yeah, uh, nearly all the top fermenting styles uh, got flushed away uh, because in former times. Flushed. Yes, I know. Oh, I know you like that. Uh, so it's like pretty much in Cologne you have Kölsch, uh, Düsseldorf you have still the Altbier left, but uh, nearly all of the other stuff is like. Um, uh, got substituted through Pilsner and uh, a lot of uh, the newer uh, bottom fermented beers. And there's very, very few um, areas where you still have a little bit of the top fermenting uh, times left because uh, Germany used to be really big about top fermenting beers and also about German-style sour beers. But, uh, yeah, nowadays uh, it's predominantly uh, bottom fermented and um, only also thanks to Hefeweizen uh, which uh, was very very low at a certain point but became way more popular in the uh, recent decades um, so fermenting beers got a little bit more presence again but without Hefeweizen the amount is really teeny in Germany Yeah, that, that's the next show is why did Hefeweizen become popular at all I don't know but I like what you said earlier that, that you may have mentioned I think I've, I saw this on Sheldon Brothers site you got to go see. There's a great little video with with Sebastian Sauer on the Fry Guys page. That's in my head. I I, I watched that today, and you were talking about the the, the overuse of the yeast and, and the hefeweizens that give the banana nose. Um, can you just talk about that? Because I I feel like I, I already heard you talk about it, but our listeners haven't. So um, I I would guess I would I was talking about that in the background uh, with my wheat beer interpretation, Pimok. So uh, that beer is made with a curl cheese and not with a Hefeweizen yeast because Hefeweizen would be like the typical banana and clove taste. And the curl cheese is a little bit more um, focusing on the wheat uh, character and it's not overcovering it with these uh, 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 fermentation tastes. 
And why do you think Hefeweizen, you guys do jump in, last question, why do you think Hefeweizen became such a popular style? It, it doesn't seem as popular now, but even 10 years ago, I, I always had a line of, of Hefeweizen on. It seemed like everyone had a Hefeweizen on for craft beer. Pete, Eric? Um, I think, that, you know, it's it's not my favorite style, but I think it's sort of an entryway for some people into craft beer. It's It's got a lot of character. It's uh, typically low bitterness and uh, full-bodied and, you know, the, the clove, the spice, almost like spice banana bread quality of it, I think appeals to some people. Yeah, I find with the, the heavy phenolics, especially the ones that are more banana clove, uh, people tend to they like that it's not as bitter. And I've actually I've had people say to me that uh, they like the glass, like they just like that tall wheat beer glass, which is you know I mean the aesthetics of it all. Um, you know they're not so much about the beverage inside of it as as how it looks and with the serving it with the lime or the lemon slice. But it's great. It's great in the morning. I used to when I was on tour as a musician in Germany, I would drink a ice beer in the nice glass in the bathtub every morning after a hard night of drinking, which happened every night. You're a wild man. And, well, no, a I, was, I was told that's what you yeah. do in Germany. Is that when you, you feel ill from the night before drinking, you drink a ice beer and it grinds your stomach up to get ready for more drinking. Yeah, it's a breakfast so beer. So I, I love it. Good stuff. Hey, it was great talking more about uh, German beer and beer styles and history. Thank you, Sebastian. It's something that we could definitely do a lot more shows on. And um, you're here for a few more days. You're traveling down to what, D.C., Baltimore? Yes, and Philly also. And where else are you going to be making beer? Because the collaboration beers, last thing, when you make these collaboration beers, how do we get them? So you made a beer at Greenpoint with KCBC. Who's going to get those beers? We don't even know yet, do we? We'll have to wait and see, but um, I'm sure you can find it at KCBC and Greenpoint. Ask nicely, and Jimmy's. Jimmy's. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and you're going to be down in D.C. Where are you going to make beer down there? Uh, in D.C. I will make uh, beer with D.C. Brow, and uh, tomorrow with Other Half in New York, and in Philly with uh, Nishimini Creek. I'll tell you, man, this, this show could go on, and we, I would love to keep this show going tonight, but we got to go. So everyone just give a, a quick sign-off, say your name and your affiliation, and thanks for coming on the show. B.R. Rolio with Shelton Brothers Importers. Eric Olson at Greenpoint Beer and Ale. Pete Langell with KCBC. Sebastian Sauer, Fragas Beer Couture. Joel Shelton, Shelton Brothers. Shelton Scheiss. Scheiss yeah. Brothers. <laughs> <laughs> and, hey, they'll be in town to, tomorrow somewhere at Shallow and Weber on the Upper East Side. We're going over to Folks Beer. Our good buddy Travis Kaufman and Justin Kennedy organized an event. Uh, the Fry Guys is going to be there and some other brewers. Um, the Solemn Oath, is that their name? The guys from uh, Chicago. They're actually in town. It would be a first chance to taste them if you're listening live. And in closing, I'd like to thank our sponsors at Union Beer Distributors who helped to bring this podcast to you tonight. Thanks to our producer, Justin Kennedy, engineer extraordinaire, David Tatashore. Thanks for joining me on the Heritage Radio Network. I'm Jimmy Carboni. We'll see you next time on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. Woo! <laughs> for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please 
Join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.